This is God's word from Genesis chapter 2. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Good morning, friends. Uh, Good morning to Sound City Bible Church. Good morning, Martha Lake Baptist Church. Uh, uh, Not... As I've mentioned before, I'm not super wild about doing these online worship gatherings, but I am thankful that we're able to do this in partnership together. Um, Welcome to any of you who happen to be new, just joining us for the first time. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Sound City Bible Church. And uh, when this whole um, COVID-19 pandemic started, and and in particular when worship gatherings, crowds of a certain size uh, weren't allowed anymore, we sat down and we kind of put together a list of topics that we thought would be helpful to address. And um, I'm going to tell you, this one today was not on the original list of topics. This one today was not on our brainstorming the last time we were all together and kind of talking through these things. Uh, This one has cropped up in recent weeks. And I want to preach a sermon today from Genesis chapter 2 entitled, I Hate Zoom. Zoom. Okay, so uh, go with me on it. I'm going to pray, uh, and I want to unpack for you what I, what I mean by this and why um, our physicality is, is more important maybe than uh, we sometimes think. But would you pray with me? God, I know it's uh, maybe a little bit hypocritical to preach a sermon called I Hate Zoom through Facebook and, and YouTube Live, but God, I ask and I pray that the truths of your word that, that um, you've put on my heart to communicate uh, would come through loud and clear. I pray, God, that I would be honoring to you. I pray that I would be truthful and you would guide and direct my, my words. And God, I pray that even though we are distant from one another right now, that you would unite us. You would unite us as one body, the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head of the body. You'd help us to remember that we are always connected even when we're separated. So help me, I pray. Help us, I pray. Help us to learn something today and to think biblically about our physicality. 
I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Uh, this term, Zoom fatigue, is starting to make the rounds. Uh, the first person who invites me to a Zoom call after the shutdown is done, I am unfriending you on Facebook and in real life. I'm just saying that right now. I'm tired of Zoom. I'm tired of it. And I came across an article uh, last week that helped put some language to some of the frustration and the fatigue that we feel when we're in these video conference calls. This is um, an article. I've linked to it on our church's website. It's by Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's a Christian uh, psychiatrist. And he writes this, he writes, for some of us, Zoom is a new four-letter word. We all know something isn't quite right. After all the online conference video calls, we're far more tired than usual. And as it turns out, there's a good reason for this. Human beings use our bodies to communicate upwards to 85 to 90% of everything we say. These nonverbal cues, eye contact, tone of voice, facial expression, body language, gestures, timing, and intensity of responses are the body's portion of what it means to be with others and ourselves to communicate what we are experiencing. Normally, our bodies are able to say things when we are in person that we don't have to think about otherwise. I can say, I'm really comfortable with you. Or, wow, I can tell that was really hard without using any words. This enables my thinking brain to concentrate on other things. But when I'm on a Zoom call, my thinking brain has to make up for what my body is not available to say. Hence, the conscious cognitive domain of my mind is having to do much, much more work than it is used to doing. Is that interesting? Does that help give some language to why you might feel more drained after uh, these online technological interactions than you would after, say, a real meeting. I've been having conversations with people from the church. You know, I'm, I'm an extrovert for the most part, pretty, pretty serious extrovert. Being around people energizes me. But I've had multiple conversations in the last few weeks with people who are introverts, self-professed introverts, like, man, I just want to be around people because we know that this, this online stuff just doesn't quite cut it. And friends, it's not just scientific reasons. There are theological reasons for this. God made us as embodied creatures in the world of space and time. And God cares. The big idea that I want to make today is that God cares about everything that he's made. The physical and the spiritual, the visible and the invisible. Let me show you a few things from Genesis chapter 2. I want to read through this, this story, this account of creation. that We've already had Genesis 1, the, the big kind of zoomed out account of creation. And then things really zoom in here in chapter 2 on the land and the garden and the environment and the people and the animals. I think we can see five things from this chapter. The first one is, is just simply that physical existence matters. Physical existence matters. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At that time, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, but a mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Now again, this this is like a little snippet of this grand creation narrative. But the point being that in the pages of Genesis 1 and 2, the God of the Bible creates with intentionality and with care. 
If you read other creation narratives uh, from the ancient Near Eastern world from around the time that the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures particularly come to us, you'll read things like the, the Babylonian Enuma Elish. And it's, it's like one God cuts another God in half and the blood spills out, the two parts of the body fall away and the one part of the body becomes the sky and the other part of the body becomes the ground. Like all of these creation narratives are violent and haphazard and accidental and like, oh, whoops, the gods just made a world. Okay, well, let's make some people so they can serve us. Or or, like the stories are just radically different from the Bible. God made the world with intentionality. God created the world with purpose. God loves the world of space and time, and we should too. And we should resist any thoughts we might have of like, well, it's all just going to burn one day. God created everything and he said it was good. Now, that's the first part. This, the universe itself, the universe of space and time is good. Physical existence matters. Number two, though, our bodies matter. I really want to zoom in on this for kind of the, the central point. I won't be able to spend this much time on the other points, but, but point number two, our bodies matter. It says this, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Friends, if, if this creation account is different from other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts, then what I just said is radically different. Look at the language of intentionality, God forming and, and breathing his own breath into the dust. And the man became, it says, a living being. And that phrase, living being, is the Hebrew word nefesh. And the Hebrew word nefesh is a very, very, um, it's a very interesting word because it's used uh, broadly to mean a lot of different things. You, you, you see it translated in our English Bible sometimes as living beings or living creatures. And that's both people and animals. Actually, in a minute, when we keep going through the story, we're going to see God bringing the nefesh to the Adam for him to name them. It's the same, uh, uh, the same word, same Hebrew word is used for humans and animals. It just means a living thing as opposed to a rock. It can mean life, like, like the life is in the blood. It's the Hebrew word nefesh. It can mean a person. Uh, it says the family of Joseph, when they went to Egypt, was 70 nefeshes. It can mean like soul or your, your innermost being. Why are you downcast, oh my nefesh? And maybe it, uh, something you didn't realize, this Hebrew word nefesh is also translated sometimes as throat or neck or breath. Like if you, you know, if you choke, you have no breath flowing through your neck, uh, you are no longer a nefesh. You are not a living being. The breath is gone. It's, it's interesting to think, you know, I thought I meant soul. Or, oh, why are you downcast? Oh, my neck. Like we feel things in different parts of our bodies. And you see that there are these two essential ingredients for what makes a nefesh. It is body and breath. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. You have these two inseparable parts. They're both indispensable. You can't have one without the other. To be a living being is to have the breath of God within you, which should, as humans, I mean, that ought to just fill us with a sense of of our 
our power and the, the glory that God has given to humanity. We have the breath of God within us. But we're dirt creatures. We're from the dust. We're made of the dirt. And that ought to fill us with a deep sense of humility and our utter dependence upon God. And friends, you see this unfortunate tendency throughout human history to bifurcate, to, to overly split the, the body and the breath, the, the physical and the, the immaterial. And some will focus on one to the exclusion of others. There, you know, you can see in, in ancient thinking, like Plato, or then later the thinking of the Gnostics, it was the body in this physical world was some sort of a, a prison that we're trapped in and we just need to escape from it. A lot of this, unfortunately, kind of wove its way into the thinking of, of very influential people like St. Augustine, who, who's a great, brilliant theologian, but, but he shows some of this kind of split in between the body and, and in between the body and the soul or the, the physical and the immaterial parts. And friends, I would just say that kind of thinking is not biblical. We really need to think about these two being inseparable. In fact, that's why death is such a tragedy is because death is the ripping apart of these two parts of what it means to be a nefesh. Sometimes we can fall into one of two ditches. We can focus too much on the physical. And obviously this is what our our secular culture does. You know, that great theologian Madonna, I'm a material girl living in a material world, right? She was right. Like, it's just, it's physical. It's, it's, it, that's more theological than she realized. I also think she meant to say materialistic girl, but that's neither here nor there. This idea that our culture focuses on the physical too much is actually, it's actually can be really depressing. I was reading an interview with a, a singer in a band that I like, and he wrote a song called uh, Chemical. And he had gone to a doctor and he was experiencing depression. And the doctor made this comment like, oh, hey, don't worry about your depression. It's only chemical. And he said that actually made him more depressed. Like, great, my whole life, I'm just a bunch of chemicals floating around inside of this skull. That's just my whole existence. Obviously, from a biblical worldview, that, that doesn't hold. But there is a ditch on the other side of the road. And this is the ditch that more Christians will fall into is an overfocus on the spiritual Maybe we're not prone to focus too much on the physical, we focus too much on the spiritual. Maybe for some of you it's a little bit of both because you are Christians, but we live in a very materialistic culture. Maybe you find yourself in both ditches. But in this ditch, you, you might find things like this quote uh, that is sometimes attributed to C.S. Lewis, although he never said it. Leave C.S. Lewis alone. This quote says, You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. As though the body was this temporary thing that you're going to shed one day and all you are is a soul. No, friends, Genesis 2, 7. You are an embodied soul. Don't, don't bifurcate. Don't split them apart. You are both. Yes, you are your soul and you are your body. And there is obviously distinction between these two elements. But Jesus himself is the one who said in Matthew's gospel, don't fear those who can only destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. He said that. Which to think about hell, that would mean hell is embodied. Just think about that. In Romans chapter 8, the great 
8, great 8 it's called sometimes because there's so much just glorious language about salvation and redemption and predestination and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says, the hope of what we're saved in? He says, in this hope we were saved, we await the redemption of our bodies. Bodies. Did Jesus come to save your soul? Like a good... You know, evangelists would say, yes, and your body. Jesus came to save your living beingness, your soul and your body. So I belabor that point because we can get it wrong so easily. I'm going to move quickly through my, my next three points. The third point is this, environment matters. The world of space and time matters. Your body matters. Your environment matters. Uh, in, in Genesis 2, you can read verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden in the east. This is, this is his royal throne room. This is, this is not just the wildness of the earth out there. He's planting a garden. And there he placed the man, intentionally put the man in this garden that he had formed. And the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree, listen to this, pleasing in appearance and good for food. And then, yes, there's the tree of life in the middle of garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that mankind gets themselves into big trouble with those trees. But I just simply want to highlight this. Yes, the trees were good for food. They serve a practical purpose. But when God made a garden and he put the man into it, it says the trees were pleasing in appearance. God cares not just about the practical, but about the aesthetic. So for some of you who are more practically minded, you might say, why do I need to change out of my pajamas for the fifth day in a row? Nobody's going to see me. I don't, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. But friends, your environment affects you. And whether you realize it or not, now the more aesthetically minded around us, they're in deep connection with that. And, and to the aesthetic, sometimes again, that goes uh, awry when they forget about the practicals, but, but, to those of you who are more aesthetically minded, thank you. Not only when you use that, that gift, not only do you make the lives of people around you better, you bring honor and glory to God because God made things aesthetic. And for the practically minded among us, let's not neglect the idea that our environment matters. Maybe one of the most spiritual things you could do that would be healthy for you would be to go and clean your room this week, to take seriously the idea that your environment matters. Point number four, relationships matter. Jumping ahead to verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And all God's people said, amen. Introverts and extroverts alike. We, it's just not good for man to be alone. And so there's, there's this plan. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a helper that corresponds perfectly to him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, there's our word, nefesh, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he, as he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, finally, this one at last 
is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And friends, there's seven sermons just in these verses, but I simply want to point out that the relationship between the first two human beings is, is embodied. That so much physical language that, that the female was taken from the rib of the male and they, they correspond together perfectly because there's a, an embodied nature to relationships. And, and as, as helpful as something like Zoom or FaceTime or Facebook Live could be, it is subhuman because it's not embodied. We as living beings, as, as nefeshes, we are embodied creatures. We have both body and breath and our relationships take place in that context. Our relationships take place in that context. It's why, you know, you hear stories of, of young infants when they're born. If they don't get touched, there's this, there's this thing where it's, it's called failure to thrive, where they will die for lack of human contact. Those, those babies aren't thinking about things in their rational, conscious mind. They just need to be touched. And when this shelter at home is done and we can gather in person again, I am going to give each one of you an awkwardly long hug. You have been warned. Prepare yourself accordingly. Number five, last point is this. Our physical actions matter. What we do with our bodies matter. Now, this in Genesis 2 verse 24, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. This is before sin enters into a picture. This is before uh, they go and sow fig leaves and, and shame comes in there. They're free. They're alive. They're fully human. Yes, this is the marriage relationship. And yes, uh, marital intimacy is in mind here. But the, the idea is that their bodies were just, they're free. They weren't using them to harm each other. They were using their bodies to enjoy one another and to glorify God. And if you keep reading into the story, they use their bodies to eat of the fruit. Their, their bodies eat. They, it says they, they saw with their eyes and they took with their hands and they tasted with their mouth. Think about how much language of sin is embodied. Your, your tongue like a small spark that sets a great forest on fire. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And while I don't think that Jesus was um, teaching bodily deformation, he is saying, take your sin really seriously and direct your body. Think about even 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle Paul quotes from this verse to talk about fleeing from sexual immorality. He says this, he says, the, the, for scripture says, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And theologians and commentators scratch their heads a little bit and say, what, what exactly does that mean? The idea is that your body is sacred to God. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. 
So very clearly between Genesis 2 and 1 Corinthians 6, there's this idea of how you use your body matters, particularly in the incredibly potent and powerful and potentially harmful act when not used rightly of sexual intimacy. But I think principalistically we can just say, yeah, my body doesn't belong to me and the actions that I do, the things I look at, the words I say, the the things I I do with my, my hands for either for harm or for help, it all matters to God. Our body is not our own. If you're a Christian, God cares how you use your body. God cares about the world of space and time. God cares about your body. God cares about how we use our bodies. And do you know how I know all of this is true? Like, yes, Genesis 2, but do you know what really seals the deal for me? It's the idea of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. If if God was intentional in creating his world and he said it's good, how intentional was he to step out of the glories of heaven and take on human existence. God, in the incarnations, did not say, I'm just going to scrap this world of space and time. He says, no, I'm going to enter into it to redeem it. And Jesus shared in a body like us. He had a body of flesh and blood. He ate, he drank, he slept, he hugged, he cried, he got sick. Jesus had a body like ours. So his, his incarnation affirms that our bodies aren't a trap to be freed from, but something good that Jesus, that God entered into to redeem. And Jesus went into specific environments. He didn't just incarnate anywhere. He incarnated in the land of Israel where God had made promises to the family of Abraham that he would use this people to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And Jesus interacted in different ways. He he worshipped in the temple. He was uh, alone in silence and solitude in the wilderness. He was on the lake fishing with with his disciples. Jesus interacted with his different environments. And Jesus used his body in relationship to, to touch people and to heal the sick. I think of the, the man where he, he made mud, the, the mud, the man of the, of the, the, the man who was born blind, he put mud on his eyes. Or I think of the woman who was bleeding and she reached out and she touched his garment and she was made well. And I think about Jesus touching lepers, people that nobody would touch because they were unclean. And ultimately, Jesus did not use his body for sin. He used his body to pay the price for the redemption of our sin. Jesus' body was whipped and beaten. Jesus had a crown of sharp thorns piercing his scalp. Jesus had nails driven into his hands and into his feet. And Jesus had a spear stabbed into his side so that we might see the gravity of our sin, the horrific nature of our sin, and we might see the goodness and grace of our God to offer us redemption, spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus rose on the third day, did not appear to his disciples as a ghost or a vision. He physically rose. He said, put your hands here in the nail holes. And he says he ate fish. He ate fish, just something as mundane as eating a meal to prove to his disciples that he had physically risen and conquered over death. And then he ascended. Friends, think about this. Our bodies are not a prison to be freed from because there is an embodied human standing at the throne room of God interceding for us day and night and, and our names are engraved on his hands. 
Jesus Christ is embodied forever. And one day we will see him face to face. One day we will see him not through a Zoom call, not through a lens darkly, but face to face. And we'll be able to put our hands and touch the nail holes and touch the hole in his side. And we'll be able to hug him and see him face to face. I look forward to that day. Let me close with two brief thoughts. It's a lot to think about. Two simple things to do. Number one, take your body seriously as a part of your so-called spiritual life. As a pastor, sometimes I meet with people and I say, hey, here's a Bible verse you need to read. And then also I say, hey, you need to go to bed earlier and quit staying up so late. (laughs) Get some better sleep. Go see a doctor about this, right? We we believe that if if our bodies and and our spirits are so interconnected that we need to take both into account as it comes to our spiritual well-being. So, so yeah, drink some water, take a shower, get some exercise, lift your hands in worship, kneel, cry, lament, grieve, be physical with your spirituality. Take your body seriously as a part of your spiritual life. And then number two, let your body remind you of our future hope. This week, you're going to have some aches and pains, probably because you've been sitting on your laptop curled up in the corner of the couch and not uh, sitting at a table or something with good ergonomics, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to have aches and pains in your body. Let that remind you of the days that's coming where we won't have any more aches and pains. You might have some, some good food this week, some, some good food and drink. Let that remind you that we're going to eat of the choicest of meats, the Bible says, and drink of the finest of wines on Mount Zion with Jesus. Maybe you're going to do some exercise this week. Let that remind you of the, the training and the discipline that we need in our, in our spirits so that we can make it to the last day to see Jesus face to face. And as we go now into a time of celebrating the Lord's table, eating of the bread and drinking from the cup, let these physical, tangible elements remind you that we have an advocate, Christ Jesus, who stands before the throne of God above interceding for us. One day, we'll get to rejoice along with the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says the the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Jesus. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Friends, if you're you're a human, you're, you're dust. But if you're of Christian, you're united with the man from heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Skipping down to verse 53, this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And so when that happens, the saying that is written will take place Death has been swallowed up in victory and we can say where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we long for the day when we can gather together in person. And Lord, let that longing well up in us so that we long for the day when we're not seeing you through a glass darkly. We're not seeing you through a Zoom call screen. We see you face to face. 
and the fragility of our, of our dust bodies is turned into imperishability and incorruptibility because we are finally united with you and heaven and earth are restored and all things are brought into the perfect order that God, you intended from creation. So this week, Lord God, help us to use our bodies to, to worship you, to serve you and to serve others. Bring us back together soon, I pray. And until that time, may we be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church family, I'm Kyle. I'm one of the pastors at Sound City Bible Church, and I get the joy and privilege of um, helping us to respond, leading us through a time of response uh, through the Lord's Supper, through communion, which is a sacred time for believers, for followers of Jesus, to pause, to uh, reflect on Jesus' sacrificial death in our place for our sins. I encourage you, now would be a good time to go ahead and grab the elements and get those ready as we uh, begin to to respond through communion. Um, As much as I'm thankful for these, the video technology and the live streams through through Facebook and the the videos that we have in this season, it's very helpful, but uh, it also is challenging because I long for, as I'm sure many of you, uh, most of you long for being back together, physically present with one another. Um, I miss your hugs. I miss your smiles. Even just being able to wave from across the room to you and, and see you there present. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I, I think we all want so badly. But, um, but as I think about Jesus coming to earth, uh, God in human flesh, coming to live with his people. Uh, Jesus is the physical presence of God, the embodiment of God himself. What an amazing truth that is for us to reflect on and to remember um, Jesus who came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. And then he went to the cross. He gave himself. He died in our place. He died a sinner's death, a death that he didn't deserve, a death that you and I deserve because of our sin and our rebellion against God. We know that that's not the end of the story, that Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was raised from the dead, and we get to celebrate that. But, but for now, we're going to take a moment, we're going to pause and just reflect on um, Christ's sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul describes it in this way. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're called to remember Christ broken body, and shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But the Apostle Paul continues on and calls us to examine our hearts. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, Here in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. But I encourage you, after I pray, take a moment, pause, reflect, uh, pray, Cry out to God um, and, and ask the Lord to show you uh, your heart, to, to be able to truly examine your heart. Bring your, bring your junk before God. He wants to, to commune with you. 
He wants to meet with you in this time. So let me pray. And then you take time as you need to reflect, to pause, to, to cry out to God, to ask for, for, you know, for forgiveness from brothers and sisters in Christ, from, from God himself for, repent, through repentance. Uh, and then let's respond by taking the bread and eating and taking the cup and drinking as we're, as we're instructed to do so. And then let's join with the musicians as we sing and celebrate our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we give this time to you. I pray that it would be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, as we said, this is a sacred time, and we want to acknowledge that. We want to acknowledge the great sacrifice that you made, giving yourself, dying on the cross for our sins. I pray, Lord, that this time would be healing for us, that it would be good for our hearts as we reflect on these truths this morning. And Lord, as we long to be back together, present uh, with one another, Lord, I pray that you would sustain us, that your presence would sustain us in this difficult season. We love you, and we pray all these things in your good and mighty and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.